Welcome to the Grit Growth Podcast. Commit to conquer, lead your life, leave a legacy, gather your grit, and let's get after it. Andy, how's it going? Carson, Matt, great to see you guys as always. Great to see you as well. Thanks for joining joining us again, even though this will actually be the first episode to come out. We've pre-recorded your next episode for a future season, but uh, <laughs> had to do a little backtrack here to talk entrepreneurship more so than life uh, the, for, for season one. That's the goal. So yeah, that being said, circling the wagons back to that, wanted to get a little bit of the nitty gritty on your business acumen and you know, Fearless Health for one being current, but also going back to engineering background, you know, making a, a huge transition out of that field into a completely different field, you know, from the outside looking in, it seems unrelated, but maybe you'll look at it or, or tell it differently. So yeah, that being said, you want to give us maybe a brief um, or not so brief, if you'd rather uh, rundown on you know, business and and um, entrepreneurship career kind of history. Yeah. Well, you know, I wish I had a simple, clear history, but that just does not seem to be the way life happens for Andy Farina. <laughs> um, so I graduated with my degree in electrical engineering in uh, 1985. Um, I worked as a hardware designer for defense contractors primarily in uh, high-tech electronics and then did a couple years of commercial consulting for uh, computer companies and helping them design their digital devices to meet FCC emissions testing because you don't want your... Uh, you don't want your computer messing up your TV while they're all on. So they all, you know, the digital companies are good at designing digital stuff, but they were struggling some with high frequency stuff. So I would come in and help them design and retrofit their systems to meet emissions testing through the FCC. So I did that for almost 10 years. And um, while I was doing that, I was volunteering, doing leadership development and what I would call people engineering. So you know, it's it, to me, whether you're doing uh, high-tech electronics or, um, you know, or people, you know, they're complex systems. Uh, people are far more complex than electronics. And, um, you know, and it was all about, you know, uh, creating new things, improving and innovating. So believe it or not, there's a lot of similarities between you know, designing hardware for, you know, um, the B1B bomber or fuel gauge testing systems for the C-130, you know, um, and or helping people to become quality leaders or increase quality of life for them and their families and their friends. Um, and then also working as a community chaplain and dealing with people in the spiritual realm. Um, mostly non-religious people trying to make sense of things. So um, again, complex issues, complex systems, but you know, hopefully the outcomes are um, beauty, order, quality of life, you know, um, enhanced tools, and something our world desperately needs, quality leaders, you know, um, and quality managers, uh, two different roles, of course, between manager and leader. And I'm sure you guys can pr probably define that better even than myself. But, um, but, you know, as we like to say, as leaders go, so goes the movement. Or as leaders and managers go, statistically speaking, so goes the company. Mm -hmm. So developing quality managers, quality leaders that care about, you know, really care about people and have good people skills besides their technical skills um, and productivity, to me, that's really crucial. And so, you know, doing volunteer work for many years, um, 
you know, I found that when you volunteer coach people and you volunteer consult people, people don't take it as seriously. And I had a number of entrepreneur friends who kept saying to me, Andy, your stuff's great. You need to monetize this and you need to charge people. And I was very reluctant to do that because I'm not a business guy, you know, um, or at least I wasn't. <laughs> and uh, something got dumped in my lap and somebody, you know, a company asked, how do we hire you to come in here and help us with these things? And um, that was kind of the final straw. Like, I need to do this. This is a way for me to help people. And when you start charging people, people take it a lot more serious. They show up with pen and paper and they do their assignments and things like that. Not everybody, but a lot more than when you're doing it for free. Right. And um, so I learned a very valuable lesson and I do very little for free now, you know, unless it's, you know, a sincere emergency or something like that, because people just don't take it seriously. But when they have skin in the game, time and money, they get better results. Mm -hmm. And I am about results that, you know, to me, degrees are nice. Um, I can show you shelves of books, research I've done, you know, uh, apprenticeship programs for four years in leadership development on two, on two different occasions, two years each with top leaders. And all that means not nothing if I don't get the people who are relying on me tangible quality results. So that's it in a nutshell. I, yeah, I, I, I like it's it. It's a good starting point. That's perfect. I like it a lot. Uh, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot there. So one thing I think has been a common theme we've talked to a lot of people about is getting over a hump in your career path, you know, or or getting off a plateau. Um, and it take and and that I think it would be an average to say five to 10 years that it takes people to do that. Um, but you just mentioned and correct me if I get the timeline wrong, but you did the engineering for approximately 10 years before this transition happened, where instead of say becoming an expert in the engineering field, which you may have been uh, and taking that on and continuing on and to the fullest extent of whatever it might've been, you've, had this opportunity thrust upon you and use that as a pivot point and transferred those skills. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting to me. I think a lot of people maybe burn out somewhere in that five to 10 year period that it takes to become an expert in something. Um, and was, was that a motivator for you at all burnout and, and causing you to switch gears or was it more of an opportunistic no, you know, I don't think you leave, you leave something. I think you leave to go to something. So I was, I was on uh, parallel career paths, which I don't recommend because it's not for the faint hearted because I was working full time as an engineer and I was also working five days a week almost as a volunteer in um, coaching, consulting, and spiritually advising. At that point, it was college students primarily. Um, that's where I started my volunteer work because co my college years were such a pivotal point in my life. Um, you know, so um, I was on those two parallel paths. So I was testing both out at the same time. And um, my goal was not to leave my engineering profession until my boss could look me in the eye and say, you're, you, we're so sorry to see you leave. You're welcome back anytime. So it definitely wasn't burnout. It was the fact that I had a passion for engineering and electronics, but I had a greater passion to see people, you know, thrive, to see people um, become the best versions of themselves and to solve those problems instead of electronics problems and innovating electronics, I preferred to innovate people. So for me, it was following the greater passion. And, um, and when opportunity knocks and it's in an area of passion, the only thing that's gonna stop you at that point is fear. And I think fear is ruining so many people's lives. And hence why I named my 
company, Fearless Health, because I want people to be able to overcome fear to become who they want to become. And, you know, for lack of sounding kind of corny, to really live the dreams they want to live. Like it's doable. And, but fear stops most people. Fear of the unknown, fear of what if I don't have what it takes? What if I fail? And, um, you know, I just, uh, I just want people to get past fear and I want to help people get past their fears to, to become who they want to become and do what they want to do. So that's, that's how, how I did it. Um, the opportunity came knocking. I, I initially had to take a, a 40% pay cut, which was, you know, another big risk to start where I was starting. Um, and, uh, you know, and I did it and I, I can say I probably lived better during those years and now than I did even when I was making a lot more money as an engineer. And, you know, so, so fear and fear of the unknown, I think is stopping a lot of people from becoming, or for, for one of my favorite things, daring greatly, you know, mm. dare greatly, go for it. You know, if it doesn't work, at least you learn. And if you have skills, you can, you still have those skills, you know, so you can go back around. Yeah, it's, mm -hmm. it hurts. It's inconvenient. I had five kids too. Well, at that point, when I made that jump, where were we in the lineup? We were, we were, we had at least two at the time when I jumped, knowing we were going to have more. So it was a big jump. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. still kind of laugh about it. <laughs> yeah, five kids you make is a big it plan. sound like, yeah, you make it sound like it was like opportunity just presented itself, and and you had this passion. It's like okay, opportunity knocked, and, but it, it, I'm sure it couldn't have been that simple. Like you're just talking about, you got two kids, you're thinking about more. I mean, really, talk us through what what did you do to overcome the fear? What gave you the courage? What allowed you to dare greatly? That's a great question, Matt. So it's never simple. It's always messy. Let's just get that principle out there. If you're looking for simple or cleanliness, you don't want to be an entrepreneur. Um, uh, I've heard many entrepreneurs say that to be an entrepreneur or to start a business or however you want to put it, you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable because um, it is extremely uncomfortable. However, um, I have a value on um, self-awareness. And during this season where I was working as an engineer and doing leadership development on college, on two college campuses at the time, and really growing in that arena. You know, I was weighing out all along, like where did my greater passion lie? And um, I like to say every de decision you make is not a decision about what you're gonna do. It's about who, you're, who you want to become. So I think the way you overcome the fear is there's a couple key factors practical, what, what I would consider non-negotiables, okay? And, um, you know, I don't know if I'm an expert or not, so I can't answer that. I'm just one man. So the audience can decide if they'll agree with this or not, and I'm comfortable with that. Um, but I think you have to have a vision of who you want to become. What kind of man, woman, do you want to become? Because the decisions you make determine that. So I had a vision of who I wanted to be. And I had to, you know, so that was one key thing in making the decision. Okay, money's not the most important thing in my equation. It was who am I becoming? And is this, is this path going to lead me to become who I want to become? The second thing is, if you're married, you better have a wife that's on board. 
um, because she's going to pay a big price in this whole thing. And so are your kids. And you're not going to make it if it's not a team. And you can't force them to be on board. So that was another practical thing. My wife was very much on board with me in the direction that I was going. And that helped me to overcome fear of well, what are we going to do about bills and how are we going to live and so on and so forth. Um, so vision, who are you going to become? Wife and kids on board. My kids were young, so they didn't know any different, but my wife was on board and that was the key player. Um, and then I, I think everybody has faith in something, you know, faith in yourself, faith in God, whatever you want to call it, but everybody leans on trust in something. You know, I had a sense that the direction I needed to go was the, this opportunity that presented itself at a very unique time came after years of asking God to lead me to where he wanted me to go. And I'm not trying to force my religious views on anybody, my faith views on anybody, but I just, you know, part of my overcoming the fear was I believed that God wanted me to go this direction. And I had to go that direction to find out, as I like to joke about and say, was this God or was it indigestion? You know, and I know that sounds a bit irreverent. My religious friends will get mad at me, but I was like, let's be realistic here, guys. You know, just because you have a feeling about something does not necessarily mean it's always like a higher power. You need to be prudent and discern. So I was, I was being aware of what my passions were. I was being aware of what my family status was. I was being aware of what I wanted to be like and who I wanted to become, what kind of man I wanted to become. And, and, and then I had to, you know, analytically, like a good little engineer, look at the pros and cons and say, okay, also, let's speak practically here. How long can I last on 40% less salary? So that gives me a timeline to where I need to succeed by some crossover point, correct? So coming into this endeavor, I had been saving cash for an emergency fund to make sure I had a backup. So these are, you know, these are the important things. These are the practical things that help you overcome your fears. You know, um, it's a lot easier to be create, uh, courageous with your decisions when you have three or six months living expenses sitting in the back because it gives you some time, right? To make it work or, right, right. you know, I've got to go back in to my old job or I got to go get a new job. So those are four practical things that help me overcome the fear. And you're, you're very astute in your um, observation. It is not easy and it is, it is not simple and it's, it's messy and it takes some, some focused effort for sure. Yeah. So, so it's three to six months in and you're running out of cash. What are you thinking? Um, well, the good news was I wasn't running out of cash. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> so it, then it worked in reverse. I wasn't running out of cash. Mama was happy. <laughs> you know, I, I was moving in the right direction of my vision of who I wanted to become. And, um, you know, I had a sense that things were good. Things were good. Now, that path was not an easy path. And it was it, uh, actually the, the role I took, the first role, did not end very well. I made some significant mistakes. And um, that after six years, I realized, whew, you know, um, this isn't working so good. You know, I'm not, I need to, I need to, I need to do another pivot and, and, uh, not a, not a, a full pivot, but I need to recreate a little bit about who I am because, you know, right now it's not, it's not working as well as it could. So I went through another adjustment period and that's when I moved to Gainesville in 2000. 
And that was a whole new endeavor. <laughs> All right. Well, before we trek off into that endeavor, I got a question for you. So did you always have this vision of your future self that you were working towards? And do you still have that? Do you still maintain some format of that now that you're working towards? Uh, excellent question, Carson. Um, yes, I, I was, you know, the, the vision changes as time goes on, you know, mm -hmm. but the core of it stays intact. And so that vision started when I was in my early 20s. And next week I turned 60 and I would say it's, I'm still moving in that direction. And the vision is still strong. Um, I would say the last 10 or 15 years have probably been the hardest of my life. And I, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to get in a comparison game. And I know lots of people had have had a much harder life than mine, but I would say much of my life has been pretty difficult. And the last 10 to 15 years have been brutal. And, um, and I think the vision, um, the vision keeps carrying you forward and the support of my wife who we've, you know, been going steady now for 36 years, you know, that's been critical, uh, not easy, but critical. And, and, and also re-engaging with the vision consistently, like, all right, am I moving in that direction? How would I define it in the language of today? Are these really my values? Let me look at how I spend my money. Let me look at how I spend my time. Let me see how I treat the opposite sex. Those three metrics, I think, really define the type of man you're becoming. Not only how you treat the opposite sex, but also how you treat the little guy. Mm -hmm. I, that may not be a, a great way to say it, but do I treat you know, the checkout girl at Publix with the same dignity, dignity and respect that I would treat some big wig in a company. Right. Because how you treat people really defines the kind of person you are. Um, and but I've made so many mistakes and those who know me would be laughing right now for sure. But at least I'm growing and I'm moving in the direction of the vision. And I'm a lot better now than I was five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And that's the goal. The goal is progress, always right. progress, never perfection because we never get there, but progress. So the vision is still strong. Um, it is always challenged. And um, I, I would say uh, it doesn't get any easier. There is no easier. As the SEALs like to say, no easy days. Right. There's no easier. It, my life has never gotten easier. It's gotten better, but not easier. Mm. Great distinction. What, what's gotten harder? <laughs> we could have a massive podcast about <laughs> that. Um, yeah, that's, I, let me see if I can answer that very good question um, concisely and at the core of meaning instead of rambling. Um, so every, all of us that are in leadership roles have, a, have primary leadership styles. And I will say that, I don't know if this is true or not, I believe it's true. And I think other leadership development guys would potentially agree. Most leaders I'm around want to use directive leadership as their number one tool. I tell you what to do and you do it, right? That's, that would be in a perfect world, that'd be awesome. But it's the easiest style of leadership. And it's also the one that's least effective unless you're in an absolute crisis. You know, if you're on the battlefield, you're not going to form a committee on, you know, where to take cover. You just directive leadership. If you're in a fire, you're not going to, you know, do a conference call on how to get out of the building. The guy who knows steps up, directively leads. Okay. Mm -hmm. But if directive leadership is all 
oh, you got, you're not a very good leader because it, it just doesn't, it doesn't get you very far unless you're in a crisis. So the problem is, is my personality, my temperament, um, my Myers-Briggs leader of leaders, the NTJ, is all about directive leadership. So part of the challenge for me is failing over the years and having to develop my other areas of leadership that are more nuanced, that are more people oriented, that are more caring, which never came easy for me because I did not grow up in a very nurturing, caring environment. Um, and so part of, the, part of the problem is you have to be willing to change and you have to have a path to change and you have to have a, a supportive environment to change in, okay? So that's part of the difficulty. Each one of those things take, they don't just magically come. You have to find them, develop them, put yourself in those situations. And often that puts you on very uncomfortable. So that's, that's one issue that makes it very hard. The other issue is, you know, as you guys know, you know, women are very different than men. And you take two people who are entirely different you put them in the same house and you give them a bunch of kids who are also also very different and nothing makes sense. <laughs> and you have to maneuver those waters. And every season that your kids and your wife go through, the game rules all change. So I had to constantly be involving, evolving my relational skills, um, evolving my parenting skills, my leadership skills, and that's just hard. Again, very uncomfortable. And with the acceleration, I do a lot of cultural research, with the acceleration of cultural changes we're dealing with, I would say if you're not evolving your skills every year, one to two years, you're already behind. So it means there's a certain amount of vigilance, there's a certain amount of, of, of focus. You need to keep the vision clear, you need to keep the goals clear, and you need not to, to give up. You need to find ways. It's like late in ultra races. You know, you have to find ways to amuse yourself, to keep yourself happy and focused because we joke at our house. They say, if mom comes unglued, the kids all run to dad. If dad, they're older now, so they don't run to me. They're all bigger than me too. So, but if dad comes unglued, everybody runs for the hills. So it is important for the leader at that time, sometimes it's mom, sometimes it's dad, to hold it together. And so that's part of the hard thing is you've got to, you've got to be self-developing so that you can handle the difficulty of all these difficult things that are coming. And so when your kids do things, you know, that um, hurt or your spouse does things that hurt or you hurt them and now they're mad at you or you blow it at work, you blow a project, you make a big mistake, customers, clients or owners are really PO'd at you. You know, how are you going to handle that on a consistent basis? How do you become a trustworthy person? Where it's like, you know, Andy really blew it there. But, you know, I trust that guy. He really cares. And he'll make it right. And so that's one of my goals. That's part of my vision is I don't want anybody to be able to point at me and say, Andy didn't make it right. I'll blow it, but I'll, I'll make it right. Yeah, it's funny you say that about uh, the combination of two humans and then procreating more humans. I got an email from a guy I follow, Dave Blanchard, this morning, and it it is exactly that. It's humans are infinitely complex. We then we multiply those complexities together. And then when you have kids, that's exponential growth. Now you got infinite times infinite to the infinite power, every one you add, right? So it's there's literally nothing else more complex than that. And uh, yes. it's mind boggling to think about the nuance of that. But anyways, um, so <laughs> I uh, I really want to hit on this vision thing. I don't want to beat a dead horse, but 
Um, I think it's really critical and it seems like it's made an immense difference for you. So when you reevaluate, you know, and, and you stay vigilant on your path to continue to develop yourself, is that like on an as needed basis? Is that an annual um, calendar meeting with yourself where you shut the world out and, you know, deep dive into your your own brain for eight hours? What does that process look like for you? That That's excellent because um, I haven't met too many people that really focus on this. And I feel like it's, 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 um, I know so many great people and I think they could be that much greater if they would, if they would do some of this, you know? Um, so it's not as difficult as you might think. So I'm going to keep it really practical because when we start talking about infinite times infinite, it can feel a bit overwhelming. And, um, you know, I, I did single board computers for part of my stretch. I designed single board computers for military radios with encryption and decryption capabilities with the highest level of electronics available, which were much better than commercial electronics. And that's, I was working in the nanosecond world. And let me tell you, people are way more complex than that. <laughs> so, um, but there are certain principles that are consistent. You know, simple things like people want to be seen. People want to be heard. People want to be understood. People want to feel like you care and feel like it's sincere, not like you're, as I've heard young people say, you're finessing, you know, which for me as an old schooler, I would say that sounds a lot like manipulating. I don't think I want to do that. You know? right. um, no disrespect that some people may see finesse very differently, but I laugh about it when I'm talking with young people about it. Um, but here's, here's what I, what I, I do do. Um, I keep some very basic foundational values in focus. I keep some basic foundational principles in focus. Value may be not quitting. You know, our value may be it's more important to love you than to make you agree with me. You know, certain basic principles that, you know, reflect the dignity of every human being. And again, I'm, I'm far from perfect, not even close, but it gives me a stake in the ground. When I'm not sure what to do, I have these basic values, basic principles. And um, a basic end game, you know, the classic begin with the end in mind, you know, Stephen Covey, where do I want to be? The end is getting closer for me, especially with about with cancer this, you know, last year, you know, it became really real, you know, I'm not invincible, things do go wrong. So you want to begin with the end in mind. You want to have these basic values, basic principles, like this is what I'm about. And then I have some basic habits that I practice each day. And again, I'm not perfectionistic about it, even though I do struggle with perfectionism. I say I'm a, a, a recovering perfection, perfectionistic person, a recovering workaholic, but, um, you know, I have some simple habits that I stick to every day. And if I miss a day, it's okay, but I don't want to miss two days. Not two days in a row. That's no good because then you start to lose the habit. Every time you skip a day, it makes it easier to skip another day. So um, I don't skip. I try not to. Um, you'll see that in my training you know, if I have a training plan over a period of 16 weeks, if I miss one training session, that's, a, that's probably the most I'm going to miss. Like I am, it's about consistency because um, 
whenever I, I meet older leaders that I highly respect, I, I ask them uh, one question almost always. I ask the question, um, you know, how do you finish this life well? It's one thing to start well, but you know, you've heard, you know, you see a lot of older people and they say, oh, they're grumpy and they're this or they're that. You know, I don't want to be that. That's not in my vision. So I want to, I asked him, I said, well, how do you finish your life well? And one of my childhood heroes who I got to spend time with later in life, um, I asked him the question and he said, you finish well by living each day well. And that was it. That's all he said. <laughs> and it has stuck with me for, that was 1994. So that's going to be 30 years in a couple of years. It stuck with me. So live each day well. So you have, you have where, you, where you want to be at the end, what the end of your life is going to look like. You have some values that you've, you've embraced. And you, I looked at my life. Every year at the beginning of the year, I do an evaluation of the previous year, and I do a plan for the next year. And I spend three days really focused on it. Um, and I even often will skip eating so that I can be mentally clear and spiritually in tune in my belief system with God. And, and then I, um, I, I come up with a theme for the year that keeps me focused. But then it comes down to what habits am I going to conduct every day? you know, maybe take one day off a week or something like that as a rest day with some different habits, you know, out of the ordinary habits. And that's pretty much how I do it. And I'm happy to give examples. I'm happy to tell you more about it, but I do believe each person has to decide what's going to be important to them. And I, I along the way, wanted to, one of my high values, I want to love people well. I've never been good at it. I'm inherently selfish and love to me is the process of meeting needs with no strings attached. So I want to meet the needs of others with no strings attached for their benefit. And that's a high value. So I have to ask myself each day, okay, how am I doing that today? What's on my schedule that I'm doing that? You know, um, what am I doing to make sure that I won't quit no matter how hard things get? And I have mantras and I memorize phrases that um, keep me stirred in my soul and in my heart, that keep me fired up and motivated, or keep me laughing if it's a funny mantra, you know? So I have funny mantras, I have serious mantras, I memorize quotes, I, I memorize uh, key verses out of ancient texts like the Bible and things like that, and all those things feed me day to day. I can, when they're in your brain, you can call them up anytime. So, you know, that's some of the things I do to, to fuel all that. I've been rambling for a while. Is that clear? No, that's, that's, there's, there's so much gold in there. That was, it was great. It was perfect. <laughs> These are the lessons I wish somebody would have taught me like 40 years ago. Could have saved right. me so much trouble. <laughs> <laughs> They're not new with me, but I just wish I would have had them sooner. I could have saved poor my wife, poor Suzanne. I could have saved her a lot of heartache. Yeah. Well, hopefully we're, <laughs> we will be saving someone that when they hear this. I hope so. I hope they can find a little nugget there and just the, the key thing is don't try to do it all at once. Pick one thing and go after that. And that will get the ball rolling. And as you know, in physics, the coefficient of static friction is far greater than the coefficient of kinetic friction or in thermodynamics, you know, or I forget what, in what science field, but you know, a body in motion, you know, you want to keep it in motion. Stays in motion. Right. Yeah. So go ahead yep. and pick one thing, focus on that, start working on that and get the ball rolling. And then you can always go back and watch the podcast again and get another one or whatever you want to do, you know, or somebody will come up with something way better, but but always find one thing. That's another principle I have. Whenever I sit in all kinds of teaching, I find one thing to do. And if I don't find one thing to do, I don't care how great the teaching was, it didn't have an impact. 
Yeah. Yeah, definitely. What about when it's hard to narrow it down to just one though, right? That's the other, that's the flip side of vigilance. Uh, that, well, that's what grit growth guys do, right? <laughs> they make the hard choices. Mm -hmm. Got to make the hard choices. Fear stops you from picking just one. Fear of missing out. You're mm. not going to miss out. Try it. Put a time limit on it. Try one thing. If this doesn't make a difference in two weeks or four weeks or whatever you think is prudent, then I'm going to go to the other one. Mm. You're, you're, always, you're always testing. You're always um, in action. You're not just sitting around thinking, philosophizing. That just, that fits in some circles, but not for the entrepreneur, not for the quality leader. You got to be a ball in motion. Yeah. So do you, do you have a, a, a formula per se or a split? So you, you, we kind of talked about the three days of reflection and, and then looking forward over the year, right? So at that point in time, you're kind of in theory. You're, you, there's an action of, of, I guess, determining what the next year is going to be for you. Um, but what, what is that kind of balance between action and reflection? There's got to be the time when you pick the one thing uh -huh. to move forward with, you know, but it, do you, do you kind of have a, uh, uh, I don't want to say division, but kind of a, uh, you know, what, it, you know, what's that right balance for you? And I'm sure it's different for other people, but you're right. You gotta, you gotta keep pushing something forward. The ball's got to be moving forward. You've got to kind of, at the same time, you've got to pause and reflect so that you're not just going in a circle. Absolutely. I like to look back some at the end of the day, but I'll tell you something that when I was, when I was in leadership development um, cycles, where I was really focused on being developed as a leader, those two two-year cycles that I went through with higher level leaders, one of the things that was said that I really caught my attention is one of the leadership development guys said, the best leaders take 10% of their work schedule and put it towards reflection. So if you're working a 50 hour week, that's an hour a day, five days a week. That's a fair amount of reflection. Mm -hmm. I must not be a great leader because I have not taken that much reflection, but I take a lot of reflection. For me, um, trail running, running in the woods, I spend a lot of time reflecting during that time. Mm -hmm. I have some of my best right. ideas. So I, I tend to, because there's only 24 hours in a day, I tend to integrate um, life quite a bit where, you know, if I'm going to go out and run distance, which I love to do, and I do that most of the time, five days a week, sometimes six, I want that time to be more than just running. So that's often for me, a time of reflection. Um, I, uh, the other thing that I didn't mention that's really important, really, really important. And this is something that's really hard too, because a lot of people don't have enough of these kind of friends. It's not like you need a whole bunch of them, but most of us have a spouse and they're eager to answer this question. But I ask, um, my wife, my kids and my closest friends questions about me. Like, how am I affecting you? How am I doing with this? And that saves me many hours of reflection because, you know, we all have blind spots and the people around us can often see things that we don't see. So you could reflect for 10 hours in a day and still never see it, but your spouse or your kids, my kids are all older now, they're 20 to 31 and they're eager to give me feedback. You know, I get lots of good feedback from that, you know, and they talk about what I was like before and help me have insight into how I am now and how I've changed, hmm. um, you know. So get a couple people that you trust that know you and ask them, you know, about your leadership style. How do I affect you? Do I motivate you? It's a humbling question to ask because you don't always like the answers you get. And um, it's, it's really hard with your spouse, but really important because it means so much to you what your spouse thinks of you. And mm -hmm. often they don't answer the way you had hoped because you're a little bit idealistic. 
and we tend to, I tend to give myself a little more credit than I deserve. And Suzanne is good at kind of giving me a little more reality. <laughs> so um, I think that's an important part of reflection is ask people you trust, you know, how am I doing in this area? What do you see? And take, and take their feedback to heart. Don't poo-poo it. Don't write it off. Take it to heart. Do something about it and see if you get different responses from other people. Mm. Hopefully better responses, right? Um, they could be wrong, but most of the time they're, they're dead nuts on, I found. So I think, you know, you can do something as simple as uh, I try to do, and this is one I do more days than not. Well, to be honest, it's probably 50-50 at this point because I'm developing this habit. But I try to take about five to 10 minutes at the end of every day and do, do some reflection. Is that like a journaling go? kind of exercise or? Well, I do reflection in the morning to start the day. I have a time I spend where I read and I pray and I reflect. Um, and I, I, I am not an avid journal, journaler. I am trying to improve, even though I have a shelf of notebooks full of notes. So maybe some would say I'm an avid journaler, but to me, I haven't gotten to the point where I'm journaling every day, but more days than not. Mm -hmm. And um, I go back and I read those reflections and um, I kind of surprise myself sometimes. I was like, wow, where did that come from? It couldn't have been me because forgot, boy, forgot that, about that little tidbit. Yeah, that's pretty insightful. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I need to memorize that one. Yeah. Yeah. And, that's, <laughs> and I do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I think you can, I, I, I think it is important to put paper to pen because you, you, you only, re, you retain like 5% of what you hear and about 10% of what you see. But if you engage the tech, tactile, it goes up like to 35%. And if, you, and if you engage two senses simultaneously, it goes up to like 65% retention. Hmm. And you retain 100% of what you memorize. <laughs> yeah. How yeah. about that? Right. So journaling yeah. and memorization, I think, are pretty, pretty key. Well, Andy, we're, we're coming up on five, and, and you and Carson can keep going here, but I've, I've got a um another meeting i got to jump to at the same time i wanted to kind of reflect on what i've heard from you today um you know and really kind of started with you know when making that change in your life it was about having the confidence to do so but making sure that you didn't let fear take control of your life you know you you kind of sat down you you created that plan in your analytical brain to then move your feelings and your passions forward and in reality you know us humans are just big electronic devices you know we run on electricity when it's all said and done too right so <laughs> so maybe it wasn't that huge of a, a career career change for you but that was awesome you know having having that courage overcoming that fear not letting fear get in the way uh daring greatly not being uh scared to fail but learning when you do and and, and carrying that lesson learned forward um, but part of that courage comes from understanding who you are, the self-awareness um, and, and where you want to be, you know, and, and having that vision of the type of person, the types of things you want to do, then gives you that courage, which I think was awesome. Um, I, I'm with you on that all the way through this. But in particular, I don't think people define themselves well enough for what they want to do or set goals for themselves. Um, on where they want to be. But you, know, you talk about that goals and that visioning and spending time on an annual basis, really going over that. Um, but now also, you know, again, on that daily, spending the time, you know, running, those are reflection times for you to, you know, are you living the life you want to live? You know, is it, am I living the best life I can every day? Because that's how I'm going to end well, you know, because then you're not bitter about what you've done because you've lived a great life every day. You know, and I, you know, probably some of that, you know, how do you end well is, well, you don't want to be bitter about who you are or what you've done, you know? So it, it's kind of interesting when you think about it that way, that if you're living well all the way through, you have the goals, you, 
you set that up to be successful, then yeah, you're going to end happy because all the way through you've accomplished and done things that, that get you there, that make you happy. Um, so a lot of great stuff in here, man. I, I really appreciate it. And, uh, again, uh, taking that with me and I'm, I'm learning from you. So thank you. Very well said, Matt. I'm with you a hundred percent. And courage is one of those things. That's one of my highest values because it, it holds all the other values intact. And to me, courage is just simply doing what you're afraid to do. And that has to be part yeah. of who we are. We have to do what we're afraid to do. That is so important. You don't grow otherwise. Yeah. You won't be an entrepreneur. And honestly, you won't right. enjoy life a whole lot either. Um, because everything's safe and it's just kind of milk toast and you know that kind of thing. So, yeah. you know, well said. Well said. Yeah, you know the grit growth definition, <clears throat> the four virtues of grit. The very first one is valor. So, that's, love uh, it. That's why I love you guys. This is right great. I mean, that one, valor's number one. Yeah. Valor, courage. You're on the right track. That's it. Yeah. I couldn't find every. I couldn't make everything start with a C but I could make everything start with a V. So I had to go valor, vigilance, viability, vigor. That's, that's what we ended up with. That's awesome. Very memorable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think and we've covered a lot of ground in a short period of time. No doubt. We have, we have, there was definitely nuggets in there that I'm going to take away myself and, and plop them down in the old journal right now, as soon as we get done. So Really appreciate it. It's, it's, yeah, now, we got, now Carson and I have to make the hard decision of which one thing are we going to do. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so you've added value to us, so thank you. Well, that's, I, I hope so. I really do. I, you guys deserve it. You do a lot of good for others, and I'm happy to do anything I can do for you guys. So that's great. Well, we really appreciate it. <clears throat> I'm sure we'll do this again at some point, I hope. Sure, whatever works. And when you're big and famous, remember us little peons. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> Thanks, Andy. Okay. All right. All Thanks, right, guys. guys. Well, have a great afternoon. Great talking with you. You too. Appreciate it. See you guys. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Grit Growth Podcast with host Carson Stefanelli and Matt Webster. We sincerely hope you were inspired by the interview and found at least one useful tool or tactic to implement in your own life. Now, level up by taking immediate action. Apply one lesson learned to your life as soon as possible to make sure it sticks. Post it and tag us to increase accountability. You can join the Grit Growth Movement to restore American grit to its former glory by building an unprecedented force of conquerors, both in business and in life, at www.gritgrowth.org and wherever you're active on the socials. Please also drop a rating and review on your podcast app as it goes a long way in helping the movement gain traction. Now, don't let this inspiration go to waste. Commit to conquer. Lead your life. Leave a legacy. Gather your grit and go get after it.